2: It's the Nightcap with Gary Jeff Walker. That would be me on News Radio 700 WLW. On a Tuesday night, October 17, 2017, from last night's show, email to Gary Jeff Walker at 700 WLW.com. See, this is how people uh, disagree. Sorry, Gary Meth Walker, but the answers in the poll you were talking about was debunked because smart, intelligent people know. Dumbass racist rednecks like yourself would read it and think it's factual. I read a poll last night that was supposedly taken from NFL players. And the response as to why they're kneeling for the national anthem. And while I admitted at the time, I couldn't verify the veracity of this. Some of the answers sounded totally plausible to me. When you think about athletes who supposedly graduated with degrees from major universities, when we all know... Uh, they graduated because they could play football. And that brings me to tonight's subject, the opening rant here. Much to get to. Mike Allen will join us talking about Colin Kaepernick's grievance with the NFL, Steve Bannon, and much more later on. We'll also have Jen Dawson, who is the public liaison officer for District 3, Cincinnati Police Department, talking about a special benefit they do every year. It's coming up again this coming weekend. And much more to get to also a special shot of Walker that I did back during the summer with Red's broadcaster, Jim Kelch. And it's not too dated, but I always am interested in how people got their start in the business and their journey to get to where they are now. It just fascinates me. I hope you'll enjoy it as well and find it entertaining and informative. But tonight, as we open up, Lance, I guess, covered this at some point. Early, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are facing off against the Boston Celtics opening night of the 2017 NBA season. And I couldn't care less. And this is odd. Now, I know you may be right there with me. But what's odd about it is basketball was always my sport. It was the only sport that I could even halfway play and participate in. And while I have the uh, traditional white man's disease, don't don't jump very well, I could fly up and down the court. My younger days, I was a gym rat. Man, I was all over. I played pickup games every day in the summer that I had time off, up into my early and mid-20s. I mean, it could be 120 degrees in an unair conditioned gym somewhere in middle Tennessee. I would find a community center, and I would be playing hoops for two, three hours, just soaked in sweat, loving every second of it. And usually in those community center uh, games, I was playing against guys who were much bigger, much more talented than me. Uh, in many cases, African-American gentlemen who were six five, six six. So I had to develop an outside shot and ability to handle the ball that I had not acquired up to that point, just to keep from eating leather the entire afternoon. Not going inside too much unless I was really crafty, doing my tiny Nate Archibald impression, which was very poor. Uh but on through my teenage and twenty uh and thirties and, and my wife, Krista two point can tell you there was at a point in my life when if the NBA playoffs were on, or the NBA finals were on, I was glued to the TV. I mean don't call me, don't knock on the door. Honey, wait wait for a commercial, we can talk about that then. This is more important. My eyes were fixed glued to the TV, watching these phenomenal athletes ply their trade on an NBA court. And I don't know when the worm turned for me. Maybe it was when Michael Re- Michael Jordan retired uh for the last time and left the court because I thought Michael Jordan was just the best thing ever. And people of another generation will cite Oscar Robertson, and they've got a great argument for that, the only player to average a triple-double in NBA history through an entire season. LeBron James is tremendously talented. There's no doubt about it. He combines the skills of Jordan and Magic Johnson and the like, and I respect his talent. But at some point, I just lost taste for it. And I I don't... It's amazing that the NBA season is beginning, and I couldn't give a rat's ass about what's happening on NBA courts. And it's just the first game of the season. But what's even more amazing is that last year, when the Cavs were trying to defend their title against Golden State, I maybe watched, maybe watched 15 minutes of the series. I just don't care. Now, I realize I moved into an area in Cincinnati where, yeah, we had the Royals here and uh, and we have got great college basketball here perennially every year u c Xavier now n k u and of course u k go big blue, you've got great college basketball here, but the pro basketball thirst and outside of Andy Furman, it just doesn't exist here, maybe I've been polluted by being moved into a place where there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, except in pockets, there's not a whole lot of enthusiasm for the national basketball association, but it's just wild seeing how we change over time and how now it just doesn't matter. And it used to be like everything as a sports fan to me to watch the NBA. I mean, the game has changed, obviously, it's more of that one on one thing, you know, and one thing. They're flying it, but I really don't care. And I used to care so much. I, I'll i credit that to maturity, not apathy. Uh, we have Jen Dawson, who's the public liaison officer, plus your phone calls. She's for, uh, for District 3, Cincinnati Police, plus your phone calls, open lines tonight. At uh, 513-749-7000, pounds 700 on AT&T is a free call. O'Brien wants to talk about the Cincinnati Royals. O'Brien, uh, you must have been around a long time if you know the uh, Cincinnati Royals. Uh, yeah, a few years. Oh, okay, well, your comment on the Cincinnati Royals.
3: Well, they, had a, uh, they were a pretty strong presence in the city back in the day. I think what killed uh, the Royals was the thirst for professional football. And once the Bengals came along, they kind of killed the Royals. And then the venue that they played in at the same time was kind of not working too well. The neighborhood wasn't too great. So were they playing? Thought, in the, were they playing in the Gardens? Yeah, they were playing in the Gardens. I watched uh, at the time. I watched uh, Oscar Robertson play many times. Um, Bob Cousy, who was a player, then became the coach. Um, yeah, they were playing in the Gardens, and, and, and at the time it was supposed to be you know, the up-and-coming place. That's why they moved the team here from Rochester to New York. Yeah. And uh, so they played here from, I think, about 57 to 72. And the then Bales. they
2: became the uh, Kansas City Omaha Kings, is that right? Yes, yeah.
3: yes. And now they're the Sacramento Kings.
2: Right. Uh, yeah. But let me ask you this question, Brian, back to my point in the opening rant here. Do you watch the NBA anymore?
3: Well, no, because I'm not an uh, – yeah, on, on occasion if it's on TV when well, I go somewhere, but I really don't follow it because it's not a NBA town. And, uh, but I did follow the rules back then, but like I said, a lot of people were um, – Cincinnati people were Cleveland Browns fans yeah. because we didn't have a football team. Right. And we, we had a real thirst for uh, getting a team. And then, of course, at that time it was the AFL and the NFL. Um and then Cincinnati came in, and they they brought a football team here, and the Royals just kind of just kind of faded away, just kind of collapsed.
2: All right, well, thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Real quickly, Dave, what you got?
3: Oh, back in the day when I was about nine or ten, uh, they took us down to go see uh, the Royals and the Lakers play. Uh, Lakers had Wilt, and uh, Royals had Oscar and i remember i remember um they threw a pass to to will and he, he like fell down sort of and um mm. and we were hollering butter feet butter feet i uh, i don't know
4: okay
2: well that's that's a wonderful memory thank you dave back in a moment news radio 700 w oh jenny jenny who can i turn to When this song came out in the early 80s, I was living in a town, Chattanooga, that 867 was a prominent exchange, and there was an old lady who had this phone number and kept on complaining every time we played this song. Don't play that song. People keep calling me. Tommy Two-Tone and Jenny Jenny, eight six seven five three zero nine. This is another Jenny. Jen Dawson, good evening. How are you?
1: I'm good this evening. How are you?
2: Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, I did not get your number off a wall.
1: Uh, (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Actually, uh, frankly, got it from our our good friend Westside Jim to talk about a special event that the Cincinnati police were involved in again this year uh, coming up this Saturday. Jen Dawson, by the way, is uh, for District 3 that publicly has an officer, Officer Jen Dalton. Great to have you in the program. Tell me what's going on this Saturday, if you will.
1: Thanks for having me. Yes, we're having our second Stuff the Cruiser event this Saturday, uh, October 21st. Yep. Uh, it's called Stuff the Cruiser for our Furry Ghost and Goblins since it's October and Halloween time. The event will take place from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 2310 Ferguson Road in front of the Pet Smart. Um, it's located behind the new District 3 building. Uh, we're going to have cruisers out there, police officers. Um, so we're hoping everybody comes out, supports the event, uh, donates items. We will have a wish list there from the SPCA that, um, Anybody can take in and purchase any of the items and put it in the police cruisers.
2: Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and whose dogs and cats does this actually benefit?
1: This benefits the dogs, cats, and animals at the SPCA of Cincinnati.
2: All right. Fantastic. Again, now, uh, are you able to take any kind of cash or monetary donations at all?
1: If people come to the event and they want to make a cash donation, we can take that cash, but we will need their name and a contact number. And um, what we will do with that cash is go ahead and purchase something off of the wish list. If they want the money to go directly to the SPCA, um, then we'd like them to make um, a check payable to the SPCA of Cincinnati, and we will make sure that they get that. Or they can also go online at spcacincinnati.org and click on the donate button and do it that way as well.
2: Well, you know what's amazing about this? And I'm, I'm an animal lover, as I guess you are too, Jen. Definitely.
5: Uh, okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
6: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Chumba. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
5: ChumbaCasino.com. No by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website
7: for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Many health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
2: But what's amazing about this year is, and what, what even drives it further home, is that right now, there are, uh, there is a load, I understand, of dogs and cats that have been rescued from Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, and the SPCA is bringing, uh, a couple dozen of those animals here to be adopted in our area. So, yes, I, that's true. I mean, there's always a need for, uh, furry ones to, to, to find a forever home, and there are always. Thankfully, people like you and I and others who will come and rescue these animals and and give them a loving home. But now more than ever, because of uh, the devastation of the hurricanes and natural disasters that we've had and the work of the SPCA locally and uh, around the nation, uh, there are more animals than ever that need this kind of love and and devotion, and it's it's a wonderful thing. This is the second year I've done this, right?
1: Uh, It's the second event. We actually did our first event in February. Um, It was called um, Stuff the Cruiser for our Furry Valentine's, and it was a great success. We actually filled two police SUV cruisers and a pickup truck. So we're hoping to either match or exceed um, what we do this weekend. And, again, if, you know, donations or, yes, please adopt an animal if you're looking for a forever friend to take home with you.
2: Yeah, so uh, new toys, food, treats, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, they're looking for um, toys and treats for animals of, you know, all sizes and cat litter, kitten and puppy formula, uh, crates and carriers. Because a lot of times, you know, our dealings with the SPCA is when we have to go in and assist them or be there with them when they have to take animals out of just horrific conditions.
4: Oh, so yeah. they can
1: always use crates and carriers of any size. Um, they can use flea and tick shampoo, flea and tick treatments, uh, vet wraps which is like a medical tape for animals, uh-huh. um, all that kind of stuff. Um, e-collars, uh, the toys and treats, they just want something that's not like a stuffed animal or a fabric that the animal can chew on, though.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, again, where, when, what are the hours, all of that?
1: It is this Saturday. Stuff the cruiser for our furry ghosts and goblins at 2310 Ferguson Road. Saturday October 21st from 10 a.m.
2: to 2 p.m. All right fantastic I know that when uh, my wife and I we had uh, a 15 year old uh, non-human friend non-human person who we had to put down at the beginning of the summer and we just we were gonna wait but we we just couldn't put it off and we went to an animal shelter in Kenton County and And found Garth Brooks, who's now six (laughs) months old. Oh, but there was just there's nothing like the love of an animal, and and the love you can share with an animal. I mean, it's not it's not the same as a person. And and I'm not trying to humanize or you know uh, personalize this or, or personify animals as people. But when you can help a furry friend out, it makes you feel awful good.
1: It does, and I, they know when you rescue them and take them home. They know that you've done something good and that they're in a great place.
2: Well, this little sucker picked us out. <laughs> he, he was banging on the cage at the Kenton County Animal Shelter when we turned away and made us notice him and, and come back to the cage. So
1: Right, pick me, pick me. <laughs>
2: he, he knew what was up. So Saturday, and again the address.
1: 2310 Ferguson Road will be parked in front of the Pet smart Pet Smart, which is again located behind the new District rebuilding.
2: All right, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. this Saturday. Stuff the cruiser for our furry ghosts and goblins, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Great, th- thank you so much for spending some time. And, and uh, I'm I'm on the air again Saturday morning. Obviously, I'm on the air all week, but Saturday morning, maybe we can uh, find time to to get together and talk again and remind people before nine o'clock because I'll I'll have a, a voice in a venue. On, on that day, all right.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. I will have my phone with me. I will be at work at nine o'clock that morning. So,
2: District three, District Three liaison officer Jen Dawson, stuff the cruiser this Saturday for the kitties and the doggies. Thanks, Jen.
1: Thank you. Thank you
2: so much. You bet. Phone calls. Alan's waiting on the line. If you want to hold, we're doing news next, and then we're doing you. Well, that didn't sound right. This is the Nightcap with Gary Jeff Walker on News Radio Seven Hundred WL. <laughs> Happy 75th birthday to Jimmy Seals. James Jim Seals of Seals and Crofts. Born this date in 1941. Making one 76 today. Still kicking. It's her 70s hit Diamond Girl right now.
4: Diamond Girl.
2: I hate to admit this to people. Because it wasn't really a rock band, it was a pop. Very popular in the early 70s. It was my first concert. Seals and Crofts, 1974. I was like 13. Hermitage Landing. It was a late front venue in Nashville. And I thought I was so cool, I got to go to a concert, man.
4: Night. Hey, it's better
2: than the Osmonds or the Monkees.
4: Like
2: <laughs> they were kind of cool. 513
4: 749
2: 7000 1-800-843-2441. Pound 700 on AT&T is a free call. It's Tuesday, October seventeenth, 2017. Open phones here in the next uh, half hour. Among the things making headlines, you just heard Jack reported during the news, a federal judge in Hawaii has once again blocked President Trump's third travel ban, which throws it squarely back into square one and back into the hands of the Supreme Court, quite possibly, before they break. The decision from U.S. District Judge Derek K. Watson, sure to be appealed, it'll go to the Ninth Circuit, which, of course, is wholly liberal because liberals and obstructionists haven't let the president appoint a lot of people to a lot of important positions, which is the president's purview and privilege. The latest ban was set to go fully into effect earlier hours of uh, tomorrow, barring various types of travelers from Syria, Libya, Iran, Yemen, Chad, Somalia, North Korea, and Venezuela. The last two, by the way, are not predominantly uh, Muslim countries. One's Catholic and one's atheist. Watson's order stops it at least temporarily with respect to all the countries. Oh, with all the countries except North Korea and Venezuela. Because he's still citing it as a Muslim ban from the other countries when it's actually a ban vetting, calling for the complete vetting and temporary halt of immigration or travel from countries where you cannot verify who the people are because there's no stable government there. There's no way to know if they're just refugees who are coming here for a better life and will do us no harm or if they're importing terror. Because oddly enough, people who come from Syria, Libya, Iran, Yemen, Chad, Somalia tend to be in pockets of the world where terror is exported from. Uh, So anyway, that's on the table. Oh, speaking of terror and terror groups, one of President Trump's promises during the campaign was to crush ISIS. President Obama spent a couple of years wandering blindly in the mist in the Middle East as it pertained to ISIS as they overtook more and more territory, Uh, President Obama was worried about the consequences of fighting ISIS. And we saw what ISIS did. At one point during the Obama presidency, before President Trump took office, one-third of Iraq was controlled by ISIS, an area as large as the state of Indiana controlled by ISIS during President Obama's tenure. In the nine months since the president has been sworn in, President Trump, that is, ISIS has been continually fought back, crushed as he promised to do. ISIS now controls less than 3% of that territory, more like a county in Indiana. And uh, their capital of Raqqa has been overrun by, well, with help from U.S. firepower, uh, the Kurds some Syrian forces, some Iranians, Iraqi security forces. And there are less than 100 fighters, ISIS fighters left in Iraq. And so so the president, once again, fulfilling a campaign promise, which nobody in the lamestream media will admit to. Oh, yeah, well, it's because of uh, all the Syrians and the Kurds. No, the president pledged on the campaign trail he would crush ISIS. And that is exactly what has happened since he has been in office as Commander-in-Chief. Thank you very much for dropping ridiculous rules of engagement, for going after them and killing them, as he pledged to do during the 2016 campaign. And as Commander-in-Chief, we have been a part of that as a country. Go Trump. Hello, Alan. What's on your mind? Oh, long-time listener,
3: first-time caller.
2: Yeah, what's, what's on your mind, Alan?
3: I've always, you know, wanted to talk to you, and uh, you just confirmed to me that you're about a year older than I am, but I was uh, listening to, I was 12 years old, and listening to a night, uh, if you could please tell me, who was the announcer for the 75 World Series? Who
2: was the announcer? You're talking about the, the television announcer? Uh, no, the radio. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, Kurt Gowdy did it nationally at that. Well, point. I thought
3: it was I, I thought it was Marty Burnament and uh, 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 Al um, Al Al Michaels. Um, Al Michaels, yes.
2: Uh, on 700 WLW, Marty was definitely a part of the Reds team. I mean, it's, it's entirely Correct. possible. Well, anyway,
3: my dad used you know he he used to watch the Reds, and mm. I don't mean to get on the sports thing, but. He used to watch the Reds on TV. Well, anyway, I went to bed that night on the 75th World Series, one of the games. I don't know what it was. And anyway, I was listening to it on a little transistor radio that you can't get anymore. And he went to bed, and I went to bed, and I, and, and I was listening to it. And, he, and I heard the call that the Reds win. I run into my mom and dad's bedroom, and my dad says, go back to sleep.
4: <laughs> well, there you go.
3: It's just—I yeah, mean, it was like you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm a 12-year-old kid. I'm so excited about the Reds, you know, winning a game of the World Series, right? And it was like, well, you know, okay, we'll go back to bed.
2: Well, uh, you're 12 years old, so you got to do what Dad says. Yes.
3: Oh, it would—I mean, it just killed me.
2: Well, you obviously, know? you survived, Alan.
3: Well well, 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 of course I did. And well, I mean, I I mean are,
2: are the scars still fresh all these years
3: later? Oh, no, I, I lost my dad back in 2000. Okay. But anyway. Um, so you you, up, you yeah.
2: forgave him for telling you to go back to bed during the 75 World
8: Series. Yes,
3: I did. And then Very I listened
8: good. to him again in 76. <laughs> well, you know,
3: see, it was back-to-back
9: World Series. Well, I mean, maybe, we haven't had that since 1990.
8: Maybe, well, of course, 90 did Indio, but.
2: Maybe the Reds knew that you couldn't listen in 75 and decided to win it
3: again for you in 76, Alan. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Well, anyway, you can't do me. I heard you over, uh, you know, I heard you before what you said just before you went to the newscast. Yeah. Uh, you can't do me, but anyway, I love you anyway. Uh-huh. You're you're an awesome person, and, and I listen to you every day.
2: All right. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate your phone call. More Of what we already knew about the New York Times from the senior homepage editor of the New York Times when we return on the nightcap with Gary Jeff on News Radio 700WLW. A lot of hateful people. (laughs) One just texted me. Everything's fine. Really. News Radio 700WLW. Gary Jeff on the. The night cap for Tuesday, October 17, 2017. We line up a whole lot of guests because I wanted to spend time with you. If you choose to call, wonderful.
0: We have lots of other ground to cover if you don't. Either be part of the problem or
2: 513-749-7000, 1800 843 pound 700 on AT&T is a free call. Can't talk about gun control and dirty libs every night, every minute. <clears throat> I mentioned Seals and Cross was my first concert when I was a kid, teenager in Tennessee in 1974. Uh, Mike apparently was inspired to call about his first concert. Mike, when was it? Who was it? How old were you? And he's gone. That's fine. Um, If you needed any further proof for the agenda of the liberal left media, Project Veritas, which has been wonderful at catching people in hidden camera situations, talking about things that they would not publicly admit anywhere else. Well, the New York Times senior homepage editor, who was responsible for the Times front page, caught on hidden camera talking about how the New York Times was completely focused around Donald Trump the election, telling the undercover journalist from Project Veritas that NYT reporters tried to influence the election with their reporting. I don't think there was any question about that. We all saw it. We read what they printed, whether it was real news or fake news. Here's the quote. In part of her hidden camera admission, I think one of the things that maybe journalists were thinking about is like, oh, if we write about him, about how insanely crazy he is and how ludicrous his policies are, then maybe people will read it and be like, oh, wow, we shouldn't vote for him. And again, she's admitting stuff we all know. uh, That the Times has a clearly defined liberal leaning bias. She said, the New York Times is not, I mean, it's widely understood to be liberal-leaning, but American newspapers are not supposed to claim a bias. They're supposed to be objective. Exactly. That is the point about freedom of the press and freedom of the media, whether it be newspapers, and it was all print at the time that the Constitution was penned, leaflets and some news outlets, whatever, it was all print. We're supposed to be objective. They were supposed to be watchdogs of the government, not lapdogs, not attack dogs, but watchdogs. And the New York Times, the Washington Post have been obviously attack dogs when it comes to Donald Trump, just like they were lapdogs when it came to President Obama. She said, "So the, uh, but the New York Times is not left." The Project Veritas journalist asked. She clarified, "I'm not saying that they're not. I'm saying it's widely, widely understood to be left leaning." You blame the business model for the New York Times' lack of fact-based reporting. This is what I was trying to say is like the last couple of years, it's changed for the bad. I think the business model itself is just, there's just so much panic about what what to do that, you know, what, what else is a company supposed to do? That's the conundrum. It's it's that a business model in this time is built on what the readers want. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think? the It's built on what the readers want. So then she went on to go to to, to explain the positive effect of Trump's victory. Since the election, like, you know, speaking on, you know, this is a person who's a senior homepage editor for the New York Times. Do you hear how many times she says like and you know? That gives her an insight into the intellect at work here. Since the election, like, you know, speaking on, you know, for the New York Times, our subscriptions have skyrocketed since. I mean, they call it the Trump bump bump. And in this expose by Project Veritas called the American Pravda," part one and two, and this is part three. Nick Dudoch explained, I mean, honestly, Trump has driven us more business than anybody else. Anytime he says failing, we had a boost of subscribers. Anyway, when she was told the New York Times seemed more like a click paper, she replied, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I would, there it goes again, like and you know. Like, I would love to be able to speak my mind completely about, if I ever leave the Times, I'll go back to you guys and tell you exactly what I think. But I mean, there's stuff like, and this is what I was trying to say, is like the last couple of years, it's changed for the bad. And then she went on to explain her own personal biases against Donald Trump. I feel like Trump is, is just a, is sort of an idiot in a lot of ways, just an oblivious idiot. Please elaborate, but she doesn't. Again, just making these claims without anything to back them up, except her own personal feelings. And then she went on to attack Vice President Mike Pence. If you impeach him, then Pence becomes president. Mike Pence, who's effing horrible. She says, I think maybe possibly worse than Trump. He's extremely, extremely religious, and that's bad how? He, at one point, back to Bill that hinted at conversion therapy for gay people, which is like electrocution, stuff like that. Really? Like electrocution? (laughs) And these are the people, these are the people who many people trust to get their news from. And they're openly admitting how biased they are and how much they don't have a leg to stand on with their stances and their stories. Calling someone an effing idiot is not fact-checking anything. It's just name-calling, identity politics at its worst. And this is the grand old lady, all the news that's fit to print, the New York Times. Really? Are you kidding me? Well, Mike's called back about his f- his first concert. Since he hung up on me last time, I'll I'll wait until after 11 or 10 o'clock to see if he's still there. We also have Jim and Fred and Charlie. If you want to hang on, I'll be glad to entertain your phone calls and your thoughts on this or any other subject. Again, the numbers are 513-749-7000, 1-800-843-2441, pound 700 on AT&T. Is a free call. You can always email at Gary Jeff Walker at seven hundred WLW dot com. This is the Nightcap, the twelfth show of the bunch. I want to tell you that tomorrow night another Nightcap sessions. My old friend Rodney Allen Combs will be in studio at nine thirty to do a tune or two, and uh and I'll get to join Rodney in that. And a new segment coming up on Thursday. We'll see how that works throwing spaghetti at the at the fridge to see what sticks here. Thursday, we'll have comedian Rob Wilfong in with us for a half an hour for our new segment with uh hopefully some funny people called Does This Smell Funny to You? News next. News Radio 700 WL. It was the fourth studio album by Kiss, released in 1976. And the tour that followed is especially memorable to our next caller. This is The Nightcap with Gary Jeff on News Radio 700WLW. Little Detroit rock city. From Destroyer, there it is. So, Mike, this uh, song probably brings back great memories for you. Your
3: first concert, right? Oh, yeah, man. My ears were ringing for days after that, buddy. (laughs) I bet. Yeah, just want to say, Gary Jeff, great to hear you on at night, man. I've been listening to your Saturday morning gig uh, for quite a while, catching all our part of that for uh, quite a while. and uh, Good to hear you on at night, man. Good job.
2: Great to have you. So, the, your first concert where where did you see Kiss on the Destroyer tour?
3: It was at Riverfront Coliseum. All right, and uh, it's uh, one of those uh, one of those deals where they used to have three bands playing.
4: Oh yeah, uh, Kiss.
3: Kiss, of course, was the headliner. The second one up was a South Fit called Artful Dodger, which I think went a whole lot of nowhere fast. Yeah, but the opening act is a uh, little dude from Detroit named uh, Bob Seeger, You may remember him.
2: Yeah, this was probably just before uh, Main Street and Night Moves came out.
3: Right, I believe so. I don't know what album he was uh, he was plugging at the time, but uh, yeah, I mean it was kind of wild uh, looking back on it. That uh, you know, of the three acts at that show, Seeger is still plugging away, and the other two have pretty much gone into history. You know.
2: Yeah, how many farewell tours did Kiss do anyway? It
4: was like four <laughs> think- or
3: five or ten. Yeah, man, something like that. I remember the big deal when they took their makeup off. Everybody was all up in arms about that for a while. Yeah.
2: Yeah, if if I look like that, and and I'm not saying that I don't, I'd never take the makeup off, dude.
3: Oh, man, yeah, Gene Simmons is one of the ugliest mugs ever to hit rock and roll, I'll tell you that. If
2: he didn't have a tongue that long, there'd be absolutely no interest. Uh, That's
3: probably the case, yeah.
2: (laughs) All right, Mike, well, thanks for sharing, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for calling.
3: All right, Gary, Jeff, you have a great one.
2: Yep already is one one eight hundred eight four three two four four one and Jim on the line Jim what's on your mind this evening
3: Hey Gary Jeff um first of all I wanted to say and you know I don't give out gratuitous compliments you know I more like to criticize things but nightcap the lady that said last night nightcap is a great name in fact I wonder why nobody in the last 50 years or so of talk radio has thought it up now that I've heard it, it is a great name so that yeah, was pretty um, obvious to me I <laughs> well, listen. I maybe okay, I'll take you. I, I understand. Um, I wanted to just call and give every when you were at, saying you are going to kind of have open line before give everybody a heads up. And I haven't agreed with Hannity on everything over the years, especially the foreign policy in the Mideast. East. But Hannity is doing a fantastic job on boomeranging this Russia investigation back on the Clintons and the Democrats. If anybody gets a chance, we will put it on YouTube. His Monologue tonight is absolutely fantastic. He's got it here, and just summarizing it real quick. And don't—I I just say to everybody out there, don't let the left move you off of the first things, the first things in, a, in, a, in an issue. They have never proven anything that I know of on Russia and Trump yet. Nothing. They may have all kinds of phony stories coming out from the Washington Press, breathless. But what have they proved? What is? I always say, what is the evidence? And so are a lot of other people. It's already been—it's
2: already been more than a year, Jim exactly and they've had how many different people be looking at it exactly they've got they've got every it's an all hands on deck trying to find something against this president when it comes to collusion with the russians and the election it's been over a year a
3: full court press and they've not found a damn thing exactly now here's what he came this quick summary the uranium thing first of all to me isn't it out of the gates, uh, something to be really looked at if anybody gives any of our uranium to anybody? But Hillary gave it to Russia, which is admittedly one of the two superpowers that we, you know, potentially could get into big conflict with. So he, she gave all this to Russia. Well, what has come out now, thanks to some of the reporters that, uh, Hannity has been having on, Comey's involved in approving that. Robert Mueller is involved. Rod Rosenstein, who hired Mueller for this phony investigation, is involved. Well, we knew and, that. We knew that. And, yeah. Well, hes They're tying up more loose ends. But I, maybe I didn't get all that until tonight. But he is doing a fantastic one-man job on boomeranging this Russia thing on the Democrats. I just want to give everybody a heads up. And if if you got one other second on the NFL, I got, uh, I got
2: plenty of time. Go ahead.
3: People were saying, well, Trump, is he's a baby. He's 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 petty. Okay, well, maybe so. But I, I like it. I'll tell you why. Two of the candidates I felt were really uh, trying to do a good job for America. Pat Buchanan in the 90s ran in the Republican presidential primaries to try to stop NAFTA because he was saying, which already happened, NAFTA has gutted the United States, and he was mugged in the dark. And Ron Paul was saying a lot of good things. He was mugged in the dark. The establishment didn't like that. You know, the deep state types didn't like either one. Well, Trump is not being mugged in the dark. And the reason is he's got Twitter, and, yeah, maybe he's a little baby fight, but we needed somebody to come along and knock the credibility out of most of this big national media that is not serving America, that I would say is sometimes seditious, and I really love that Trump gets back on him now on the NFL. One quick thing, one thing like that they 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 just pick on something, anything, and that's why you know he needs to fight back when he used the term and he said it. Why doesn't the owners fire those S O B s when they kneel? and he said the whole the whole phrase, okay? Okay, I wouldn't
5: have said that, but I kind of laughed at it. He- Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Jumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
7: If you're a woman over 40, dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi know Know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
3: It's like a guy that you'd be talking to in a bar or a restaurant, and then... The NFL players and a few of their mothers who, Gary Jeff, they have never heard a cuss word. The NFL players have never heard any profanity. Oh, certainly not. Neither are not. their mothers. Neither are the mothers. And they came out, a few of them, and acted like they believed Trump, Trump was literally calling the mothers of these NFL players female dogs. Like for the first time in the 21st century, somebody took SOB literally instead of just being like an expletive to kind of diss people. So then Trump fights back. So when they're picking and acting like, oh, suddenly he was being literal when he used that and all this kind of pettiness all across the board, I'm with Ann Coulter. More tweets, more tweets. So that's my comment. Yeah,
2: the NFL players have never heard a curse word. Only uh, only every time they put on their Beats by Dr. Dre headphones and they're listening (laughs) to this insanely vulgar, Uh, hip-hop and gangster rap with n-word this and b-word that all the laced all the way through it describing sexual acts and the like yeah they're really offended by that it's kind of like hillary clinton being offended after five days of silence with harvey weinstein stories when (laughs) she lived with a sexual predator and still does is still married to a sexual predator and she was shocked and appalled
3: Exactly, And Hillary's book tour could be a, a Saturday Night Live skit if they did skits against Hillary because it's almost funny just without writing anything extra to it, you know.
2: Well, the NFL anthem, and thanks for the call, Jim, the NFL anthem protest has now been about white supremacy. It started out as a protest of police brutality against unarmed black men. And then it was about, now it's, it, they're claiming so many causes for this locking arms and kneeling stuff in the NFL. No wonder nobody knows what they're protesting. Because they've just lumped them all in to this identity politics mishmash of nonsense. I've said many times in the past, in this country, you do have a right to be an ill-informed dumbass from Colin Kaepernick on down. If you thought this was striking a blow for social justice or or against social injustice or equality or anything else that you're citing now as this thing has mushroomed and gotten more and more ridiculous by the week in the NFL, well, you're not a part of the solution. You're not opening up a dialogue. You're closing it down. And... And you're too ignorant to even see that. Do we need to have a discussion about race in this country? Absolutely, it has to be a two way street. But they, by their actions, they're actually closing down dialogue from people who have different views or on the other side. They're not opening things up. This isn't this isn't a march on Selma. This isn't Rosa Parks on a bus. It's 2017. And if you want to have a discussion, an open dialogue, well then, good. Open the dialogue to all sides. Instead of closing it off with your own ignorance and confusion. A break and then back. News Radio 700. Sweet dreams made of these. Annie Linux Eurythmics. As we continue into a Tuesday evening. News Radio 700 WLW. I love this woman's voice, always.
4: Sweet dreams are made of these.
2: Another one of those people that could sing the phone book and I would listen. Five one three seven four nine seven thousand one eight hundred eight four three two four four one. Gary Jeff, with you on a Tuesday night cap, and to the phones we go. Too sweet in college hill. How are you, my What's man? Up, Gary Jeff. Oh, just hanging, bud. I got my first and my
3: last concert uh, that was free. First concert was nineteen sixty nine. James Brown at the Convention Center. Uh,
2: now I went, I I saw James Brown in an oldies revival back in Nashville. It was in the eighties. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And there were, like, a lot of other acts on the bill before yes. before James Brown and the band came
3: on. That's when he had the little bit when Maceo would come out and take the cape off of him that whole bit.
2: Right. But the thing was, all the other acts had played. His band came out. Uh-huh. And the band was on stage for 20 minutes going, Who's that? James Brown. Who's... We waited 20 minutes after the band came on before The Godfather finally came out on stage. It was the craziest yeah, yeah, yeah. thing it I ever
3: busy, saw. It was See in that
2: band there? Uh, I'm,
3: I'm not sure. 1980s? Well, maybe not. I'm not, I'm sure. not. No, he wasn't. No, he was on his own by the time.
2: Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that Bootsy aware at that time, but I was aware of the Godfathers.
3: So. And my last concert was Anita Baker at the Ohio State Fair when it used to be free. Do you remember that? They used to have free concerts up there.
2: I never have been to the Ohio State Fair, not yeah. once in my Anita life. Anita
3: Baker. She, she put on a hell of a show that
2: night. She could sing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What? Well,
3: that's all I had,
2: Gary Joe. Well, that's good enough, too. Sweet, appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Steve Bannon has become the latest lightning rod. Even after leaving the White House, was appearing this weekend speaking at the Value Voters event. I believe the president was at that as well. First president to ever speak at that event. That's Steve Bannon declaring war on the Republican establishment. And the article from the Hill here. Steve Bannon is becoming a problem problem for Republicans on tax reform. The chief strateg- strategist threatening to support right-wing opponents to every GOP senator up for re-election aside from Ted Cruz, arguing the GOP senators falling short in enacting the Trump agenda, blasting Senate majority leader Mitch McConnell, who the president just had a, a really nice kumbaya lunch with this week, and uh, a very uh I don't know Encouraging press conference in the Rose Garden after the lunch. Said if the GOP follows up with another loss on tax reform, Republican senators know it will just give Bannon more ammunition to use against them. Lindsey Graham saying there's one anecdote, anecdote to Steve Bannon success, telling reporters earlier today, and that's that's absolutely true. But I think there's a big positive to Steve Bannon declaring war on the establishment Republican Party. It might scare them if they're facing reelection next year into getting in step with the Trump agenda. If they know there's going to be a lot of money and a big, loud, booming voice like Steve Bannon's. at, And I think that's all he's doing, is giving them another little nudge as if the polls couldn't give them an with their lack of popularity. Those who are facing reelection might have to face off against another candidate in the primary. And many of those people who are should have been term limited out by now aren't used to facing any kind of adversarial candidate in their own party's primary. They're not used to it. They're used to just cakewalking right to the November election. And in most of those districts, in a lot of those states, it's a cakewalk over the Democrats. And they're seeing now that the Democrats aren't their only worry. But a Republican challenger backed by Bannon and the anti-establishment may very well be their Achilles heel. And I think this has all been orchestrated behind the scenes to get them to move in the right direction. So I don't think it's totally bad. As Graham said, a win-on tax reform could quiet Bannon. Absolutely. Let's quiet Bannon. Let's get to work, boys. Kevin, on a first concert report. Kevin, what was your first concert? Where was it? When was it?
3: At the Abbey Theater, 1973 in November. It was Aerosmith and Fog Hat.
2: Aerosmith and Fog Hat. Now, that's a hell of a double bill right there.
3: Yeah, first time Aerosmith toured. And my first movie was The Godfather. Okay. <laughs>
2: there you go. All right, we, we weren't really getting into first movies, but thank you for offering the extra information. Matt, tell me about your first concert since people have been chiming in about that.
3: My first concert was 1976. Paul McCartney and Wings. I was 10 years old. Oh my God!
2: Was that uh, was that Wings at the Speed of Sound, or what, what? What concert tour was that? Wings Over America. Wings Over America. Yeah, 1976.
3: I went with my uh, two my two older brothers. I was 10 years old. Um, wow! At the Coliseum.
2: Mom, yeah. le- mom, let you go at the age of 10, huh?
3: Yep. Yep. They were 12 and 14. I was 10. How was it? It was awesome.
2: I bet it was. You don't get much better than Sir Paul. Paul
3: McCartney? Are you kidding? At 10 years old?
2: Denny Lane? Linda?
3: That's right.
2: Absolutely. Okay, man. Thanks for sharing. Apparently, this is a topic du jour somebody cares about. Gary, your first concert. Tell, talk to me. Gary? Gary? Yeah, yeah. 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 My
3: first concert, my first concert with Janis Duff at Music Hall, and my second concert was Pro Call Harem at Music Hall. Best concert I ever seen.
2: Pro Call Hair, that's that's a hell of a band. A lot of people aren't familiar with because they were obviously there is some incarnation of, the, of them still around, but at the time you're talking about Gary Brooker and Robin Trower. That was Procol Harum.
3: Yeah, they, they just came out with the Grand Hotel album, and that was that was good.
2: All right, fantastic, Gary. Thanks for sharing, Ron. You got a first concert story you want to share with us?
3: Yes, uh, I was fourteen years old at Nippert Stadium. I saw Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> it was a heck of a show.
2: Grand Funk.
3: Yes, sir. And then I saw Santana and James Gang at UC Fieldhouse, the second shows. Now, let me, let me
2: ask you this. Do you remember how much the tickets cost?
3: Oh, they were about $8. <laughs> That's
2: amazing. Have you priced tickets? You know, my wife and I wanted to go see the Foo, oh. Fighter, Foo Fighters here in town. We both love Foo Fighters. Love Dave Grohl, right. love Foo Fighters. And the tickets in Cincinnati were so cost prohibitive if if we decided not to pay our rent next month, we might have been able to afford them. Now they're playing this weekend, I believe, in Lexington at Rupp Arena, and it was about half the cost of the uh, the Cincinnati ticket. But still, you know, we're talking about the difference between even at the cheap rate of the Lexington show, fifty, sixty bucks for the cheap seats to eight dollars a pop when we, when we were wow. going back
3: in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, and that's exactly why my wife and I didn't go see Tom Petty this time around. We'd seen him so many times. Well, I bet you.
2: I bet you wish you would have
4: now.
3: Oh, uh, I'd have paid the hundred dollars to go see him, just yeah. knowing what I know now. But yeah, absolutely. We saw him in '79 uh, on Thanksgiving night. Yep. And I think it was a, It wasn't the Albi, but what was another theater that was is now defunct? It wasn't uh, the Taft. I, I was downtown. I, no,
2: I wasn't here then, so I have no idea.
3: I have absolutely no idea.
2: Break for news, and I guess we've got some more first concert stories you'd like to share, which is fine. Michael K. Allen is our guest at 11.06, something like that. we got a shot of Walker coming up with uh, Red's broadcaster Jim Kelch and one last bit of business before we get done, but there's a whole lot of you and me in between now and then. So stick around, and we'll be right back after news. News Radio 700 WL. You know what I love about this show, or any talk show where you have open phones, is that you never know what somebody's going to want to talk about. I got all kinds of stuff that I can pound, but for some reason, I, uh, I tripped a switch with people when I talked about my first concert being Seals and Crofts back in 1974, which I didn't, I mean, I freely admitted it, but kind of embarrassing so everybody's talking about their first concert experience, which is perfectly fine with me. 513-749-7000, one 843 pound 708. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now,
3: you want to get mixed up in the family
2: business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world at the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome
7: to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, They'll tailor Taylor treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
2: TNT is a free call, and the email address is Gary Jeff Walker at 700WLW.com. So let's go down here. And uh get some Jason. Jason, your first concert experience. Tell me about hey,
8: it. Hey, Mr. Gary Jeff, I tried to get Mr James Turner to call in tonight and uh Yeah, where the hell he, is JT? I don't he worked last night. He didn't get off till three in the morning. He was day drinking. And uh mm-hmm. he uh well actually he was supposed to meet me right now and he was asleep, so I, I can't. Well, there you go. So your first concert. To, he, he told me to answer that my first concert was Gary Glitter. Oh. And to inform you that I had lost my virginity to that song. So I got the James Turner answer out of the way. Rock and roll um, part two? I guess. I, I guess that's what he meant. You'd have to ask him later. Did he lose his virginity
2: uh, to a pedophile? Is my
8: uh, Since <laughs> I, Gary Glitter you know, was James. one. <laughs> you know James. It's uh, hard to tell. Uh, my, I actually have a two-part answer for that. Um, I'm 38. Uh, my dad took me to see Santana. When I was 19.
2: Excellent first concert.
8: Favorite musician. Uh, Two days before the concert down at Riverbend, he had just released a single. And as we were walking up, they had people handing out cassette tapes. Uh, Remember those? Oh, God. Uh, Cassette tapes of his new single. We went to the concert, had a great time. Tickets were $27. Isn't that amazing? The single that we put in the after the show was a single called Smooth. So it had just dropped two days before. My second concert was exactly one year later. My dad wanted to take me again to see Carlos Santana. The tickets for the show a year later were $60 a pop. And the opening act was Macy Gray. And what was funny about it was when we well, went I, into I, the I, show. Hold,
2: hold on, Jason. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry about that, but go ahead. <laughs> right.
8: You went into the show, and half the audience was, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, wanting to hear classic Santana songs. The other half of the audience was, audience was his new, youthful audience that had come around because of that album. Yeah, And Macy Gray came out there, and she was doing her set and everything like that, and to warm up the crowd... <laughs> She starts shouting out, uh, it, it, everyone on the left shout, to the dick, to the dick. And the old people and the crowd just look completely embarrassed. So just uh, oh, a I, tale of, of, of I,
2: one. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed now, Jason.
8: Yeah. It was uh, something. So anyway, that was my first.
2: So you're talking about the Santana Supernatural album that had Smooth and all yeah. the others, the, those other yeah. compilations on him.
8: Yeah. The smooth and uh, Maria, Maria, and and uh, all that it had dropped. So his, his the ticket price literally went twice as twice as high from twenty seven to sixty something a pop. And we left, and Dad said, "You know what? I think I need to stay away from Santana for a while." So this guy is down.
2: So. Have you heard his recent version of Whole Lot of Love, the Led Zeppelin classic?
8: I haven't. Oh, he's a phenomenal you, you player. Find it.
2: Find
3: I'm going to have to look that up.
2: Find yeah. it. All right, thanks. Let's go to Clark. Clark, your first concert experience. What was it?
3: Hey, Greg, Jeff. Uh, just uh, first of all, the uh, and I, I think it was Dusty Rhodes or Jim Scott that introduced the Beatles at Syside um, uh, Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, concert tickets were how much? I have no idea. Six bucks. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I just found that to be amazing. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the first concert uh, was Grand Punk, either at, because I I, I was in no condition, um, was either at the Lumber Garage or the scene there in Clifton. Okay. And they had the big uh, easy stand rocking chair.
2: Right, and from, from Laugh-In? Yeah. yeah. The one Lily Tomlin sat in?
3: Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they had a huge rocking chair, and there were probably about, I don't know, 8, 10 of us in this rocking chair. Nice. Just enjoyed the concert. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. all I got.
4: All right.
2: That's all we need. Uh, Bob, hello. Have you got an answer for us on the first concert?
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, it was 1966 at uh, Crosley Field, the Beatles.
2: August of 1966? Yes, sir. Their second and last appearance in Cincinnati. Thanks for sharing. News Radio seven hundred WLW the nightcap into a topic I didn't expect, but I will gladly take since you want to talk about it. Laura, you have a story about tickets you had to give away.
6: Yes, I did. Um, this was this is a set of tickets that I won from a radio station uh-huh. to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and probably in the mid eighties at Taft Auditorium. Why'd you have to give them away? Well, it just so happened that a good friend of mine, who had been a bachelor until he was fifty years old, ended up getting married on that night. Mm. So I felt compelled to go to his wedding. So I gave the tickets to my brother uh-huh. and his and his wife, and they were sitting mid section, front row in the balcony of Taft.
2: Those are sweet and, Those are sweet seats.
6: Well, just wait. Someone came up to them and said, are you the people that won the tickets off the radio station? And my brother said, no, it wasn't me. It was my sister. But she gave them to me. And the guy said, okay, follow me. He took them down, put them in front row center seats with backstage passes.
2: Instant upgrade.
6: Instant Upgrade, yes. And my brother is a biker, and him and David Crosby just got along famously, and I'm 68 years old now, and my brother is 66, and he still razzes me about, what tickets did you give me, Laura? What tickets did you give me? Yeah. So,
2: well, he yeah. he probably owes you a really nice christmas gift laura thanks for calling deb are you there
9: yes i am um gary well, i love your show oh, nice. <laughs> Secondly, there's so many topics you bring up I want to talk to him. I think I've got to go down to the bar and talk to him sometime. But I (laughs) I want to tell you about my first concert experience. I did not lose my virginity, as that other gentleman talked about, but I did lose any future invitations to concerts. Uh Um, Yep, it was in the early 70s, and um, my daughter, who's in her 30s, feels like the 60s were wasted on me because, number one, I do remember them. Um, And I went to UC at a time when I was stepping over, make laws not war, and I'd just say, get out of my way, I want an education. But anyway, I was in nursing school, and it was in my last year, and um, the gentleman asked me to go to the Pink Floyd concert. So I was all excited. I worked full-time. I played on the UC's tennis team, and I was a full-time student. So I wear a navy blue suit a red vest and a white blouse and i was the only one in the concert that had a brawl <laughs> the minute i walked in they start saying she's a narc she's a narc so this was pre uh who concert so it was festive seating and we were like in row xxx of the the uh cincinnati field house uc's field house so we're sitting up there and they had something i'm you may be familiar with called picnic masks, you know, where people would throw their drugs in a cup, pass the cup down, and you just reach in. When it comes to me, I'm identifying each drug. Oh, my God, that's a sodium chloride. That's a clay loose And I'm telling all the people around me, you don't want to mix this one. You don't want to mix that one. Because my nursing stuff is coming through. And I see hear, that would be very, very
2: helpful, Deb.
9: Well, and I hear she's a narc, she's a narc. Be careful. So my boyfriend now is no longer my boyfriend and I know we'll never be going out again. And uh at that point all of a sudden here comes a joint. And as it's passed to me, I immediately put it on the ground and stomp it out and I said, Do you realize the fire hazard here? <laughs> So um, they said, yeah, she's definitely a narc, but I'll have to say nobody bothered us, and we left quietly, and I enjoyed the concert, and I remembered it. So just wanted to share that, and thank you for all your wonderful nighttime entertainment.
3: It's well, a breath of fresh air.
2: Thank you, Tim. I, I bet you don't get invited to many frat parties either. Dave in Mainville, hello, sir. How are you?
3: I'm good, Jeff. How you doing? I'm well. What's going on? My first concert was March of nineteen seventy, the twelve hour rock marathon at Cincinnati Garden. And the headliner was Joe Crocker. He never showed up. <laughs> but they, they had the Amboy Dukes, which included
4: Ted Nugent Duk- as, yeah.
3: as a teenager yeah. Saturday Brown Mountain and it was it was the twelve hour from noon to midnight and it reminded me of the boxing Friday night at the fights because all there was, we sat up kind of high, all there was was a haze of smoke. Right? From everybody smoking marijuana. But what a fun time that was.
2: Did you get a contact high?
3: I probably did.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Th- thanks, Dave. Appreciate the phone call. Tony, you got a first concert story, real quick? Yeah, 1964 August. At uh, Cincinnati Gardens. The, the Beatles. Beatles. Yep. The tickets were
3: $5, which was 10 hours of my work, and to get two tickets. I was going
2: to say, $5 uh, was a lot of money in 1964, Yeah, especially yes, it was.
3: for a young kid. And you had to put your hands over your ears to hear them.
2: Yeah. And the screaming
3: the scream was so loud.
2: You know, that, that was really interesting back in those days, and you've seen all the archival uh, footage, or like Tony, you were there. But the sound systems certainly weren't built for stadiums, and the Beatles did all those baseball stadiums, uh, like they did the uh, Crosley Field in '66 when they came back two years later after the uh, Gardens. But there was there was no kind of sound system that really could support and push a band over the screaming, over the screaming memes, the thirteen and fourteen year old girls who were wetting themselves. And screaming as loud as they could because John Paul George and Ringo were in front of them. Bill, are you there? I
3: am. How we doing?
2: Doing fine. You you got a first concert story?
3: I do.
4: All right. It was Tell Rob,
3: it was Robin Trower. Mm-hmm. I think I was about fourteen, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my older sisters took me, and uh, I was frying so much on some acid. That I never got out of my seat, but I extremely enjoyed the show.
2: Well, Bill, it, it sounds like there may be some residual. Uh, do you ever have flashbacks?
3: Why, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Uh,
2: exactly. Thanks, Bill. You know, I could tell the second I heard his voice this guy has done some serious pharmaceuticals at one point or another, illegal or otherwise. Terry, you got a first concert story for us?
3: Hey, Gary Jeff. Yes. Gary from York Street Cafe. Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. 1957, 12 years old. James Brown to Cincinnati Gardens. $3.75 to go here and play. $3.75. 375, James Brown, the famous flame. The next day on WCIN, a guy named Bugs Scruggs said, like, this is the Bugs Scruggs, the man with the plugs, back on the scene with my record machine. He said there was 12 white people at the concert last night. I was one of them.
2: You're very special, Terry, but I knew that already. <laughs> Take care of yourself, man. Hey,
3: you're the great, man. You're the best on the radio right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you're so knowledgeable. You're so, you know, everybody loves you, Gary, Jeff. Love you, brother. All
2: right, Terry. Thank you yep. very much. 513 749 pounds 700 on at Time for a few more calls, and, and we'll be out for the hour. Mark, you got a first concert story for us.
3: Yes, sir, Gary. Um, Emerson, Lycan, Palmer. Very nice. Uh, I was probably uh, fourteen years old. I had to cut grass.
2: Welcome back my friends to the show that never ends.
3: <laughs> and um to buy the ticket for the person that was gonna drive me to it. My second concert um actually was a year later, um Emerson Lake and Palmer again. Again. <laughs> yeah. And um you know they, the the concerts they they changed so
5: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Revoid. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
8: 18 plus. 16, 17 years old and decide which one I was going to go see, you know, hair arena, um, Cincinnati
3: didn't matter. You know, Millette hall actually had some really great concerts. You know, I, I, I did a lot, a, a lot of concerts. But I tell you what, though, the thing is, when you come home from a concert, your ears are ringing. I mean, ringing.
2: Well, yeah, if the, if the concert was worth anything, absolutely, they're ringing. Thanks a lot, Mark. And finally, Tom.
3: Hi, uh, Herb Albert and Tijuana Brass, 1965. I was oh, a trombone. Wow. I was a trombone player, and my dad was chief of police in Hamilton, and so he used his badge, and we got backstage. And they had a little booklet that they sold, and I have it signed to Tommy Olay and Best Wishes Keep Practicing Herb Alpert. And I went to see him this year when he was at the Taft and had him sign that book again 50 years later.
2: That's an amazing story. That is so cool.
3: Yeah, yeah, so.
2: That is so cool. All right, Tom, thank you very much for sharing. And, uh, Chris, what you got?
3: Hey, Gary, Jeff, it's actually Cosman. How are you, buddy? Hey, dude, what's going on? Hey, I want to give you a couple quick... First concert, uh, my very first concert was 1976, Bruce Springsteen, Ohio Theater in Columbus. Followed up immediately, my brothers, I was uh, 13 at that time, 13-year-old, 19, April of 1977, Led Zeppelin at Riverfront Coliseum, a 13-year-old, drug down there by my older brothers.
2: Goodness gracious.
3: <laughs> that's that a That's a that great thing.
2: first concert, man.
3: Yeah, but, yeah. I'll tell you what. I, I was very fortunate. The youngest of six, three older brothers. Um, I was born in '63. Those guys turned me on to some incredible, incredible music.
2: No doubt. Thanks for uh, sharing, Cos. Take a break. Come back. Mike Allen joins us after the news, which is next at News Radio Seven Hundred W. It is the nightcap with Gary Jeff Walker on News Radio seven hundred WLW. When I have legal questions, I turn to our own legal eagle, the man with all the answers to all things uh, that are that need to be litigated. The one and only Mike Allen. Good evening, Michael.
3: Hey, Gary Jeff. Boy, I, I hope I can live up to that introduction. There's no
2: way you can. I know, <laughs> but we're going to try anyway. We're going to try fair. anyway. Uh, first. Uh, topic is uh, the Colin Kaepernick grievance, which was filed this week. Uh, he's got a very fine attorney, obviously, because he needs a very fine attorney to navigate these waters that he's decided to dive into. Uh, claiming that the NFL ownership colluded to keep him out of a job. What are the chances you think Colin Kaepernick has of winning some kind of legal outcome? I say slim and none, and I, I'm not a legal expert.
3: Well, I think Slim and Nun and Slim just left town. It, it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And he's got Mark Gallegos, who is a, 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 an extremely good criminal defense lawyer. Oh yeah, but he, he's not. He, he, it was an interesting choice for a lawyer because he doesn't practice this type of law. But here's the bottom line, Gary Jeff. He's going to have to show Kaepernick is going to have to show that two or more teams or the league office and at least one team conspired in some way to deny him an opportunity to play in the NFL. That's what he's going to have to show, and he's going to have to show it with some hard evidence. You know, emails, letters, text messages, or something that two at least two teams or one team in the league office are working together to deprive him of playing in the NFL and I don't know that he's going to be able to do that.
2: Some kind of paper trail, some kind of correspondence between exactly. league owners, at least two, if not more. Uh, the problem with Colin Kaepernick is this. Before the kneeling started, the losing had begun in San Francisco. Right. Uh, and, yes, there are, I don't know how many uh, quarterbacks there are in the NFL. What are they, like 89 or something? Being third like Uh Three a uh, team, two
3: a team.
2: And at best, from the people I've talked to who evaluate NFL quarterback talent, at this point in Colin Kaepernick's career, he would at best be a third-string quarterback, i.e. a uh, clipboarder, clipboard holder for a very bad team. And mm-hmm. And here's the other part of the equation. The other part of the equation is does his protest and does his political stance have something to do with the fact that he's not being hired? And I say absolutely correct. It is because if he had the talent to overcome the controversy and all the other baggage, he probably would have been picked up by now.
3: Don't you think? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it's all about money in the NFL. And if he could help a team to win, they'd take him. And here's the thing about that with respect to his political views. I mean, Let's just say the Bengals say, hey, we don't like him. He's a jerk for taking a knee. We we don't want to sign him. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. What would make it collusion is if, you know, let's say the Bengals then send an email to the Steelers and say, hey, we think he's a jerk. Let's both not sign him and maybe let's work together so that no other team signs him. If there were evidence of that, I mean, hard evidence in the form of emails, letters, text messages, or something, you know, that's, that's a collusion claim. But he's going to have to come forward with something of that nature. And it can't just be none of these teams like me because of my political stance. That's not going to be enough.
2: Well, the NFL, why, while it may be federally subsidized stadiums and, and we know to the tune of what about $2 billion at this yeah. point of federal tax money goes they are still a private corporate entity and and freedom of speech has no place when you're talking about private corporate entities if if you're off the clock if you're off the field and you want to participate in something that's certainly a different matter but when you're on the field that is owned by an NFL franchise and you're on a team being paid by an NFL franchise there are certain things that you are restricted to do, I mean, restricted from doing, twerking, uh, you yeah. know, throwing the bow and arrow, um, you know, any number of things, wearing socks that, uh, you know, honor five dead Dallas police officers, honoring nine eleven. There are restrictions on your freedom of speech when you're a member of that very, very special clique, that very special club that is the National Football League.
3: Well, you're right, and that's why the First Amendment – really doesn't apply in a situation like this yeah. now say if it was the university of cincinnati or ohio state university a, a government funded state funded institution that's a whole different ball game i mean you know it, it, the first amendment would apply in full force there but you're absolutely right it's a private workplace and the employers are allowed to regulate that under the terms of the NFL collective bargaining agreement, and that's what Kaepernick, Kaepernick is talking about, uh, teams can do that individually, but they can't collude with other teams, uh, not to negotiate with a player. That's collusion under Article 17, and that's what, that's what Mark Gallegos is gonna have to show here. And Gary Jeff, the, the discovery in this case, and discovery is the vehicle in a lawsuit where One side gets to know the other side's evidence. The discovery in this thing is going to be massive. Um, And the thing about uh, Gallegos is I I don't know how he's going to get paid because Kaepernick's out of a job. This thing is going to be so labor-intensive. And even if Kaepernick wins, he's only limited to twice whatever his compensatory damages are. You know, I guess that would be, you know, his salary uh, for two years. And while that's a lot of money, you know, it's kind of hard to say whether it justifies all the work that's going to have to be done if they're truly serious about it. I I mean, you know, who knows?
2: Forgive me for being cynical and and snarky about this, but George Soros has just transferred eighteen billion dollars into his foundation i 'm sure i 'm sure Colin Kaepernick will be just fine because uh, yeah, this smacks of that kind of divisiveness and that kind of uh, social engineering that 's being pulled by the far left and people like mm-hmm. Soros which Kaepernick has gladly got on board with for what reasons. I still say it's all about the girl. I still say it's all about the Vijay. I seriously do. I still think it's about the Muslim chick, the Black Lives Matter Muslim chick he met and fell in love with, because that's when all this nonsense started. How many times have you done something stupid Uh, because there was a woman in well you're you're the wrong person to ask so i can take a one let's let's move on i wanted to ask you about uh, steve bannon speaking this past weekend at the value voters conference talking about declaring war on the gop establishment i have a theory about this and while the president spoke to this when he came out of the the meeting with Mitch McConnell yesterday in, in the Rose Garden, the press conference, and he was asked about Bannon. And he said, I like Steve Bannon, but I wish he'd stop picking on the GOP establishment. But I think there are, there are deeper reaching things in what Bannon is doing besides just upsetting the apple cart of the GOP. What I think is really going on here. This is the conspiracy theorist in me, Mike. What I think yeah. is really going on here. Is he is pushing the g o p establishment to further the agenda he is making them afraid because he has a lot of money and power. The populist movement is what got Donald Trump elected, not the Republican party. They got behind him when they found out it was a it was a wave they couldn't you know face off against. but I think that this is all posturing to get movement on tax reform, some kind of movement on health care. And I think this is meant to frighten the entrenched established GOP into getting with the program and saying, you know what? If we want to be reelected uh, by our constituents or by anybody's constituents in 2018 and beyond, we need to start uh, ending this, this fight, this personal fight we've got with the president. What do you think?
3: I don't think there's any doubt about that, Gary Jeff. That's exactly what he's trying to do. And, you know, my guess is he's probably, in spite of what Donald Trump says, he's probably doing it at the behest of the president. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing that Trump is thinking. And, boy, it's a risky strategy. I think what he's thinking is all and he's doing a lot of this through Bannon. I think he thinks that all he needs to do is nail down his base, Mm -hmm. the base that got him elected barely last time, and he's going to be fine. The the, the problem with that is the Democrats are going to have, I don't know who it's going to be, a hell of a lot better candidate than Hillary Clinton. He's going to have to reach out a little bit. I love what the guy's done, and, and he's at least tried to fulfill just about every campaign promise Every campaign promise. Campaign he promises,
2: made. Every campaign when pro- does that
4: promise. ever happen?
2: I mean, he really has. And you know what? And, I, and I've gotten into this a little bit earlier tonight. I'm going to get it, into it again with you just real quickly on the mm-hmm. president doing what he promised to do. Today, Raqqa fell.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: ISIS in Raqqa fell. At one point, ISIS owned a third of the territory of Iraq during President Obama's tenure as president, as commander-in-chief. Today, they own 3% of the ground. And a lot of that has to, you can talk about the Syrian uh, rebel forces, you can talk about the Kurds, you can talk about the Iranians, you can talk about the Iraqi security forces. But this did not happen until Donald Trump got elected and said, we're going to crush
3: ISIS. And you know what? It's happened. And and do you think he'll get credit for it? No. Absolutely not. You know, people don't realize that that it, what he, what that man walked into. I mean, eight years of inaction in Afghanistan, in in uh, Iraq. By the ap- mean,
2: by, the apologist in chief.
3: Exactly, exactly. I mean, and Trump's got to clean it up, and I think he's done a darn good job of it so far. And and Raqqa is a perfect example of that. Um,
5: but he's, he's just, he's gonna have. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
3: to pull in some establishment moderate Republicans because he ain't gonna have the benefit I don't think of Hillary Clinton uh, as his opponent again and he's gonna have to get more than his base that base is so incredibly loyal to him he'll get them and I'm not saying he should be not be true to himself but he's gonna have to reach out a little bit beyond that if he wants to get reelected
2: yeah uh, one last thing, Michael, and I'll let yeah. you go. Uh, the Harvey Weinstein thing just continues yeah. to unravel more and more and more, and there are all kinds of possible criminal charges that he may now face in New York, in London, possibly in L.A. An Oscar-winning actor caught up in the sex abuse scandal, a top U.S. broadcaster accusing him of assaulting a loved one, and now Harvey's brother Bob, who kicked him out of I the saw company. It. Has been accused of sexual assault. I saw that. This has been yeah, going. It... This has been going on for decades in Hollywood, and I'll I, I relate to you a quick story. Okay. Back in the uh, back in the mid '80s, I was working at a radio station in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had just been bought by a company, and mm-hmm. one of the leaders. One of the heads of that company came down to our our one-station studio on Division Street in Nashville one day after the deal was complete. He just walked in, and we had somebody doing call-out research. We had a girl doing Mm -hmm. call-out research in one of the rooms. Mm -hmm. I just turned the corner coming out of my studio and watched this all transpire, Mm -hmm. And, and the girl who was... Fairly well-endowed, a nice-looking girl, probably about 18, 19 years old, came out of her room making call-out research for music or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the new chief is walking down the hall and sees her. He says, $50 to show me your. And, and this girl was probably making, I don't know, five, six bucks an hour at the time. doing call. Mm-hmm. The shirt went up. The 50 was in her hand. And before you knew it, you know things just went on like nothing happened. Those days are long gone, and they, they are.
7: <laughs> this is There's the same. No this, is, this is this
2: is the same chief executive who broke into the soda machine and stocked it with beer. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I mean, you may call them the good old days, but those days are gone. And those days of that kind. Can you imagine if something happened like that today? If, Oh, my goodness. If an executive walked in and sees a girl walking out of a studio in our hallway and says, $50 to show me your Tatas, I mean, it would be over.
3: It it, it would be over as well, it should be. I mean, they shouldn't have to put up with that. They shouldn't. But I, I don't know. It's just the hypocrisy of Hollywood. You know they and the left this guy and the left yeah I mean well hell he was their biggest contributor the Clintons the
2: Clintons can't give back the money because they spent it all
6: I I saw that
3: yesterday you know what gall I mean what nerve those people and it's just get off the stage Bill and Hillary they have no conscience
2: they have no shame they are the biggest phonies to maybe ever hit uh, the inner DC circle and they've just proved they've proved it again.
3: With this last one, yeah, I just wish they'd get off the stage. I agree.
2: Mike yeah. Allen, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your legal eagle mind, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. And if not before then, well, I'll talk to you Saturday morning.
3: All right, Gary Jeff, sounds good.
2: Michael K. Allen, our uh, brilliant legal mind tonight on the Nightcap on News Radio 700 WLW. Just when you think a six-story can't get sicker, all the revelations about Harvey Weinstein and Hollywood that we all secretly knew was going on. I mean, they call it an open secret. Well, if it's an open secret, it's not a secret. And people kept their mouth closed for years about just not not just Mr. Weinstein's behavior, Weinstein's behavior, but behavior in general in Hollywood. The casting couch, always a part of that culture, sadly, for decades, going back to Hollywood's beginnings. Patty Arbuckle, and Charlie Chaplin, Louis B. Mayer, and the like. Well, last week, former child actor Corey Feldman tweeted that he'd been asked for a statement about Harvey Weinstein's sexual harassment and rape allegations. He spent his years speaking out about sexual abuse in Hollywood, not of women, but of young men. Pedophilia. He long alleged that that is the worst problem in Hollywood, and it's in part responsible for his best friend uh, Corey Haim's eventual death by drug overdose. Back in twenty sixteen, Feldman spoke out to the Hollywood Reporter, said Haim had more direct abuse than I did. With me, there were some molestations, and it did come from several hands, so to speak. But with Corey, his was direct rape, whereas mine was not actual rape. His also occurred when he was eleven. My son is 11 now, and I can't begin to even fathom the idea of something like that happening to him. It would destroy his whole being. As I look at my son, a sweet, innocent 11-year-old boy, and then try to put him in Corey Haim's shoes, I go, oh, my God. Well, of course, he was erratic and not well-behaved on sets and things like that. What more could you expect? And Feldman continued, everybody deals with things differently. I'm not able to name names. People are frustrated. People are angry. They want to know how this is happening. They want answers. They turn to me and say, why don't you be a man and stand up and name names and stop hiding being coward? He said, I have to deal with that, which is not pleasant, especially given the fact I would love to name names. I'd love to be the first to do it. But unfortunately, California conveniently enough has a statute of limitations that present, prevents that from happening. Because if I were to go and mention anybody's name, I would be the one that would be in legal problems, and I'm the one that would be sued. He said, we should be talking to the district attorneys and lawmakers in California, especially because this is where the entertainment industry is. And this is a place where adults have more direct and inappropriate connection with children than probably anywhere else in the world. So as awful and as reprehensible as are the stories are about the rape and sexual coercion and harassment of young actresses. Think about all these child stars who've had to endure the same kind of abuse. And many of them keep quiet about it for years. It's just such a, it's such a twisted story and it gets worse every day. And to think that the people who are involved in this kind of behavior, this kind of subhuman behavior are responsible for the things that we see in the movie theaters that we see on TV that we hear in the music industry, that we hold up with these icons of culture, and to think about the real dirty stories that are out there that haven't been told yet. Like I said, a sick story just continues to get sicker. News coming up in just a moment. Here on News Radio 700 WLW, and then a shot of Walker with Red's broadcaster Jim Kelch.
10: What do you have...
2: Here's another shot of Walker. Time to belly up for another shot of Walker. You're on News Radio 700 WLW. If you're listening to this right now, it means that it's raining somewhere, or possibly myself or my guest or both of us are dead. Let's hope that's not the case. Let's pray for rain instead. Uh, We have with us, and a great honor to have him,
10: uh, TV and radio voice of the Cincinnati Reds, Jim Kelch. How you doing? Gary Jeff, it's great to be here with you. I'm glad we're not dead.
2: I, I am, too. As far as we know.
10: Yeah, as far as we know. (laughs) Maybe somebody's watching this. I got to ask you. uh,
2: Of all your broadcast partners, be they on 700 or on Fox Sports Ohio, if you were, if something unfortunate were to befall Jim Kelch,
10: Mm -hmm. who would you want the authorities to investigate first of all the people you work with? What do you think? Well, I, I think there's only one guy, really. Yeah. And that would be our good friend Jim Day. You think? Well, I, you know, Jim is a, is a, a long time television guy, uh, a host, a, a sports caster, uh, on, on the sideline kind of guy. But most of those guys, and Jim is no exception, has the idea that he would love to be a play by play guy. And right. he's, he's dabbled in it on radio and then on TV with the Reds over the years. So I think that if something were to happen to me, I think you turn to Jim Day and I think you might find the culprit. So, if the authorities are
2: listening, Jim Day should be your first uh, investigor- investigatory person that you look at in the demise of Jim Kelch. I don't think there's any
10: question about that. My right. good friend, Jim Day.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm going to be talking to him at the bar soon, too. How are you?
10: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, how long you have uh, you been doing broadcast baseball for? What, 30 years? Uh, A little more than 30, yeah. Uh, 1984. You don't look that old. Well, good. You know, I I really take care of myself, Gary J. Really. You know, and and it doesn't work like this for everybody.
2: It doesn't work like this for everybody. But the last plastic surgery you had done really was good. Because, you know, you've seen Smokey Robinson and some people like that where their face is just so tight, you it's like they got a permanent smile on their face. It's only when
10: I'm out in the sun for a long time that the major scar under my neck kind of brightens right. up. That's it. You so, know. about 1984, you started? 84, <laughs> in my hometown of Peoria. I was, uh, the owner of the team was a, a father of a, of a guy that I went to high school with and a good friend of, uh, of, uh, Harry Carey's, Pete Van Really? Own, owned the team and his son went to high school with me. And so I went to him and said, Hey, I'd really like to do these games that you're bringing this Class A Midwest League team into town. And he said, "I tell you what, you find me a radio station, and you sell the sell the sponsorships, and you can do the games." So I looked around <laughs> and found a little small station that was carrying high school sports, and went to them and said, "Hey, what would you think about doing the uh, uh, doing these Pori Chiefs games?" And they're like, "Great!" I was working at a bigger station uh, in sales, doing some side sports stuff on the weekends, and they said, "But the, the thing is, you have to leave your your uh, comfortable cushy job." come over here at the small little station and sell it and then we'll let you do the games so i thought about it and thought about it and i said yeah okay i'll do that so i went to the boss of the big station where i was working and said i'm going to leave and go to this small little station over here to sell to do these baseball games and he, he thought said you're nuts jim you're making the biggest mistake of your life and i thought well i'm going to do it but so, if it if it hadn't turned that way who knows where you would be true, right now true true so i did that for three years in peoria And we did about 70 games a year or so because our station carried the Cardinals as well. We were a Cardinal Network affiliate. And then uh, a chance came up in Chattanooga, and I got a job down there for two years. You
2: and I both worked in Chattanooga just at different times. Yeah,
10: Yeah, you were a little before me. Right. But we both have fond memories of old Engel Stadium. (laughs) Old Engel Stadium. What a dump that place was. Yeah, you know, when I first got there, I walked up the ramp and I said, this is beautiful. I was down there to interview my wife said, this is a dump. (laughs) And as I look back at it now, it was a dump. But for me, it was like baseball heaven, you know, a chance at a full time baseball job. So I loved it. Sure.
2: And, and it was a park that had, had all that
10: rich history.
2: I mean, the lookouts had been in Chattanooga forever.
10: Forever. Forever, Still are, I guess. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, we were there for two years. And at the end of that two years, they were going to renovate the place. So we were taking sledgehammers and pounding on the walls and help knocking it down. And, but, uh, you know, we won a Southern League championship my second year there in 1988. And, uh, probably in retrospect, I don't know that I've had, as much fun anywhere as that second year in Chattanooga when we were so good and we won the first half title and then got into the playoffs. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun.
2: Talking to Jim Kelch and a shot of Walker. From there, you went on to Louisville, obviously, and and were with the Bats for how long before you finally made the move up? 21
10: years, you know, I was in Peoria for three. I went to Chattanooga for two and I was um, probably 30 or so, 30, 29, 30. And I thought, I'll be here for a couple of years, get a big league job, and everything's going to roll from there. But it turned out to be a little bit harder to—I to, don't want to say get out of Louisville because we loved Louisville; that's where we raised our, our kids. Um, but you know, when you're when you're moving up the ladder and you have this idea of where you want to be and what you want to do, you don't want to wait around very long. But well, it's uh, kind
2: of—you know—that's a great uh, analogy. Is like a lot of the players that you probably. Did play-by-play when they were playing with the bats there. I mean, their ambition is to get to the big league, to yeah. get to the show. And uh, many of them, a lot of them never make it. I, when I was living in Nashville, I got to see a lot of sounds game. And I, I got to see a lot of up-and-coming players who would eventually play in the major leagues. But then there were guys like Steve Bye-Bye Balboni. And sure. stuff who Who never really got out of the minors. I was talking with Dave Armbruster about spring training, and I asked him about one of the biggest surprises in all the years he'd been going to spring training. He said, I don't know if it's a surprise or not, but really, um, Mike Leak, because Mike Leak graduated from college and went right, never played a game in the minor leagues, which is, that hardly ever happens.
10: Yeah, 2010, my first year with the Reds out of spring training, it was leak or or Travis Wood were going to make that team at the end of the year, at the end of spring training, and which way were they going to go? And we were all sitting around the complex waiting for them to make the announcement, and they decided to go with Leak as the number 5 starter, and Wood got sent down to uh, to the minor leagues. But, Jim, you know very well, though, what I'm talking about. There sure. are players
2: that are mired in the minors for years, kind of like you were in the broadcast booth, waiting for your time with, with the Reds. Uh, what's it like when it finally
10: happens? Well, it was, it was great. I mean, uh, when I first got to Louisville, they had hired Joe Buck as my number two man. Uh, Jack Buck, of course, is still in his prime the, at that time as the announcer for the Cardinals. Cardinals yeah. And so I got hired, and the, the general manager of the Louisville team said, Hey, we've hired you a partner. You may have heard of his dad. His dad is Jack Buck. Well, Jack Buck was my broadcast idol, my hero. And I'm like, Whoa. He says, His son Joe is a 19 year old, going to be a freshman at Indiana. Once to get into broadcasting, Jack called me and asked if we had a spot for him. And he, the GM said, How could I say no? So they hired, and Joe and I worked together for two years in Louisville, our first two years there, 89 and 90. He was a great guy, still is. I, I don't I'm not as in touch with him now as I used to be. And then he moved on to the Cardinals, and of course, he, he's moved on to a lot of bigger things since then. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, but he helped me, um, In the mid-90s, when Jack was doing Monday Night Football on radio, he'd go over and work with Hank Stram. Right. And they needed somebody to fill in. By that time, Joe had moved to the TV side of the Cardinals broadcast. And so he pushed the Cardinals to hire me to do fill-in on uh, Sunday and Monday while Jack was away doing football. So my situation was I would leave on Saturday, go to wherever the Cardinals were playing, this was in uh, mid-August to the end of the season. Uh, do the game on Sunday, do the game on Monday, and then wait on Tuesday to leave until Jack arrived in the city where the Cardinals were. And it only happened once that he didn't arrive on time because I couldn't leave if he didn't get there. Then all of a sudden they'd be short. So you got one three banger with the Cardinals there. Yeah, so I <laughs> so I would wait around, you know, and I did that for I did that for a couple of years. And, uh, I thought it was great. And, uh, so, so my, my first taste of the big leagues was doing a game in Miami for the Cardinals. And, uh, they did a post game star of the game show at the time, much like, uh, Joe Nuxhall used to do. Sure. And so, uh, I went down to the field to try to get a player and I had a hard time getting a player. I finally grabbed a guy, came over looked up to the booth with Mike Shannon, who I was working with yeah. and Shannon was supposed to give me the North South sign with his hand. Okay. You're on. Well, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and he never gave me the signal. Finally, he gave me the cutthroat signal. And I'm like, I, I don't know what's happened here. So I told the player, okay, you go on. I go upstairs, and he says, where were you? And I'm like, well, I was getting a player. He goes, hey, man, we only have like two or three minutes. you got to get the guy and get over there. But he said, don't worry, I covered it. So he wasn't overly mad. He, it was a lesson learned, though. you got to get the guy quick and get over there because, uh, you know, the, 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 we did it live. Sure. Now you could do it on tape, but. So that was a lesson learned. But. That's, that's weird, uh, all the parallels here. Because I lived
2: in uh, suburban Chicago when I was a kid. We lived outside of St. Louis, and I went to Cardinals games. We both worked in Chattanooga. Um, I've never had a wife who worked, unfortunately. But but there are so <laughs> many parallels, Jim Kelch, between, between you funny? and me. Isn't that funny? It
10: really is. Um, to answer your initial question, though, about what was it like when I really yeah. first found out, it, w- it was uh, uh, 2009, December. I was doing a basketball game at Central Michigan. And I had interviewed with the Reds because at the time, I think George Grant had retired. And uh, they needed a guy to come in and kind of do a little radio, a little TV. And they were going to make it a full-time job. So I had interviewed. I was waiting around. And I got a call from Phil Castellini. And uh, I was in a restaurant. And I looked at my phone. And it said 513 I'm like, oh, this could be something. I better excuse myself. So I went outside and it was cold, kind of snowy. And Phil said, uh, you know, we'd like to offer you, if you're still interested, a a full-time job. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm still interested, are you kidding? I've been doing this for (laughs) 25 or 26 years, if I'm still interested. Right. And I said, of course I'm interested. And he said, well, I said, I'll I'll take the job. He goes, no, let let me tell you what's involved first. Sure. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't care what's involved. No. And so I said, yes, I'll, I'll take it. He goes, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, take tomorrow and think about it, call your wife, call your, uh, your supervisor at the, the Louisville team, guys talk about it, and then get back with me in a couple of days. And I said, well, I'll do that if that's what you want. But I can tell you right now, the answer is not going to change from now until then. The answer is yes, I want the job. So I, was, so I had to do this game in Michigan, and I didn't care about that game.
2: First rule is never be too anxious, Jim. You just the smell of desperation just
10: (laughs) comes right through the phone at that point. I probably thought about that beforehand, (laughs) but when the moment actually came upon me, there was no question. Yeah. So
2: uh, to close that, we're with Jim Kelch, Cincinnati Reds broadcaster extraordinaire. How would you rank Jim Kelch in the long list of great radio voices and TV faces of the Cincinnati? And we've got we got Wade Hoyt. We've got uh, Al Michaels, but, you know, I really don't care about Al Michaels because he doesn't care about us.
10: Well, he was only here, what, two or three years? Yeah, and he
2: doesn't care about us. Yeah. There's Joe Nuxall, the old left-hander, the lovable left-hander. Obviously, uh, the Hall of Famer, Marty Brenneman. Uh, by the way, have, have you been to see his bust at the Frick uh, Ford uh, I have been, the been Hall to the Fame. Hall of Fame
10: to see things, yes. Did Did you kiss Marty's bust? I, I kiss it every day, so there's no reason to go up there
4: and kiss it then.
2: Uh, so so, how does Jim Kelch rank? in the? I would say you're in the top five, probably.
10: Well, let, let's look back at it, though. You've got Red Barber, yeah, Hall of Fame broadcaster, oh, absolutely. started his career okay. in Cincinnati. You've got Wade Hoyt, Hall of Fame player, and a long, long, long-time broadcaster. Who, you know, Wade Hoyt in the rain. I mean, come on. You can do sure. some of the best stuff. Joe right? Nuxall,
2: who started Nuxle. with the regiment when he was 14 or
10: 15. Yeah, you've got Joe Nuxall. You had Michaels in there for a couple of years, and even though he's not a baseball Hall of Fame broadcaster, he is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. I mean, sure. the guy's phenomenal. What about George Grant? Well, you had George, who's been here a long time, but he, he's more straight on the TV side for me, so uh, I'm looking more on the radio side Marty. Of things. Marty. So, yeah, I'm at the bottom of that. What that about region. Tom? Well, Tom has done a little bit of both, radio yeah. and television. I always tell people, you know, I do a little bit of TV also as part of my thing and and I'd never really done any television before coming here. So TV to me is more of a a work. It's work because it's not doesn't come naturally to me like the radio side of things does. Right. So I really have to work out. I've had some great help from some people including Tom. But I I'll do my stand-ups on these broadcasts and I think you know that one went pretty well. That one went pretty well. Then I'll, then the next day I'll come and Tom's on, and I watch one of Tom's, and I'm like, oh, my God, those are so good. I thought mine were okay, pretty good. On the TV
2: side, though, I'd yeah. say you, you rate right ahead of uh, Jeff Picara Well, Jeff Jeff, Jeff does a different thing and, and than and Jim Day Well, yeah.
10: Yeah, uh, Jim does a little bit of play-by-play. Jeff really doesn't do any for the Reds. He does it for the SEC Network. But uh, the point is I just think Tom is so talented at what he does on the TV side, and it just seems to come naturally to him. Uh, same same kind of as it does for Marty on the radio side. But, you know, I I didn't know much about Marty until I came to Cincinnati. Uh, I knew of him. I knew from incidents that had happened with him and Joe getting called to New York to talk to the commissioner (laughs) and different things that had occurred. But I really hadn't heard a whole lot of Marty until I actually moved to Louisville. And, you know, then you got the Reds games down there, and I'd really come to appreciate it. And and, uh, I I truly can't let this end without saying, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Marty because Marty went to bat for me back in 2010, really in, in 08 when I got a part-time job with the Reds in 08 and 09. was doing Louisville and, and also coming up to Cincinnati to right. do some Reds. And it was Marty who stood up for me and said, we've got a guy down there. We do it with players. We do it with coaches. We do it with trainers. Let's do it with a broadcaster also. And so I would not be here if it weren't for Marty Brenneman, and I'll always be appreciative of that. That's why you kiss his bust
2: every day. Indeed. And his Hall of Fame ring if he lets me. Jim Kelch, thank you so much for uh, showing up at the bar. No problem. Another shot of Walker coming soon on News Radio 700 WLW. Okay, then. One last bit of business on this nightcap with Gary Jeff here on News Radio 700 WLW. It's been a pet peeve of mine for a while, and I'm not trying to blame everyone who was licensed in Ohio with these crimes and misdemeanors. But when you come into our beloved northern Kentucky, Buckeye drivers, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, pay attention to the street signs. If you see a a street sign that says one way, or just this, if you turn down a street and cars are on either side of that street facing the other way, you're going the wrong way down a one-way street. It's always Ohio drivers. It's always, and I'm sure we from the bluegrass are guilty of the same kinds of, of terrible, horrid crimes when we cross the mighty Ohio into your beloved homeland. But the worst drivers I ever encounter aren't from Indiana, they aren't from Michigan, and they aren't from my beloved Kentucky. They always tend to be from Ohio. And I know it can be confusing. There's a lot of one-way streets, for example, in Newport where... Uh, I spend most of my time as a bartender, as a consumer. I cross a river only to get paid. And I try to observe all of the traffic laws in Ohio when I do. But use your turn signal. And not right when you get to the stop sign or the stop light, so you can indicate where you're going, so those of us behind you know how to react and keep us all safe on the roads. And for God's sake, please... Please, I'm, beg, I'm imploring you, watch for one-way streets. We've got a bunch of them in Newport. I mean, mama Street, one-way street. And now they've got uh, the construction halfway done there by the levee coming off the Taylor Southgate Bridge, where you don't have one block of Mama Street going two ways. It'll be a little bit easier for you. York Street, adjacent to Mama Street, is a one-way street going southbound. Pay attention. Most traffic accidents are not caused by drunk drivers, not caused by texting drivers. They're usually caused by people who aren't paying attention, and it's infuriating to have to... And then when you honk at somebody as you're driving down the street trying not to have a head-on collision who's going the wrong way down a one-way street, they're the ones who flip you off. And they always have Ohio plates. I'm just asking you, please, when you come to our side of the rivers, I, I like to call it God's country, observe the traffic laws and watch for the one-way streets. Because, by God, people's li- people's children, people's dogs, people's lives are at risk. And with that, I leave you with this. America's Trucking Network is next. The Nightcap with Gary Jeff Walker. Salutes America with our national anthem.